We are about to hear from a major influencer in the fostering community. Join us today on Fostering the Future. Welcome to the Fostering the Future podcast, a show about all things child welfare, dependency, adoption, and foster care. Here are your hosts, veterans in the world of child welfare, Jack and Kat. We believe that every human has incredible and equal value regardless of what side of the courtroom we sit on. We hope that everyone feels welcome and accepted here on Fostering the Future. Make sure you follow us on Facebook or Instagram as Fostering the Future Podcast, or check us out on our website at fosteringthefuturepodcast.org. So this is Jack, and I'm flying solo today, but we have a super special guest in the studio, Brittany, the foster mom behind the Instagram handle Foster the Teens. Welcome, Brittany. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. I appreciate it. Well, thank you so much for being with me today. I do have a very important question to ask you. Okay. What is your favorite drink at Starbucks? Ooh, it is. And it's it's a seasonal drink, of course, right? Because that's always how it works. But it is a peppermint mocha frappuccino uh, with no whipped cream and sometimes a little extra shot of espresso, <laughs> depending oh, on the day. I like it. And the extra espresso is almost always necessary. I was actually walking out to the studio and had my peppermint tea, which is like a rarity but it's so cold so i had my peppermint tea in my favorite mug and i took a step out of the house and my mug shattered on the ground so yeah jack daddy had to (laughs) find a new mug and bring me out some peppermint tea this evening but i'm trying not to be like super traumatized about you know my cracked mug that we got on a family trip to the mountains and it's you know one of those cool pottery mugs so oh man Brittany, i want to say that i love that you studied abroad in Kenya. I don't know if you know this, but we spent a few months in Uganda when we adopted my oldest son. And there's literally one mountain range between his orphanage and Kenya. Yeah, it was an incredible experience. I thought it would be, oh, it'd be cool. I, you know, could learn something and it'll be on the other side of the world. It'll be great. But it ended up just completely transforming so much of my life. And I fell completely in love with the country, with the people. You know, we were warned that, you know, when you go to Kenya, you're going to feel like it's home. You're not going to be able to describe it, but you're going to have this feeling of home. And it's absolutely true. And they say, you know, because they believe that the beginning people, the beginning humans came from that area. And so somehow our bodies and our our souls remember that area. It's just so very true. Every time I go back, I'm just like, this just feels like home and it's amazing, but it's a phenomenal country, amazing people. I I loved that experience so much. I was a journalism major, uh, so I had the opportunity to write some articles. Uh, I was there with a women's leadership group. Basically, we were meeting with other women's groups in Kenya, basically learning from each other, right? And finding commonality and ways that we could support one another, learn from each other. And I think the biggest thing 
that contributed to was just a lifelong passion for women and girls. They have a museum to talk about female circumcision, thankfully is decreasing in usage in recent years. Seeing that and just learning from women across the world and understanding that we share so many of the same dreams and goals, you know, when it comes to our families and who we are as women and careers, regardless of status or race or, you know, where you live, you face a lot of the same struggles and a lot of the same obstacles and barriers. And I think it just became so real to me. We as women are a powerful force together and can make such incredible difference in this world, not only by ourselves, but when we partner together. That really set a fire in me early on to have this passion for women and girls. But then when you look at things like foster care and you see the incredible women involved in foster care and how we lift each other up, how we support each other, how we cheer for each other. And I see so many of the similarities in foster care, you know, knowing that 30% of foster parents are single women, you know, like I was. And I think that just opened my eyes to say, okay, we need each other as women and we can do amazing things. So. Wow. What I'm really curious about is like, what your introduction to the foster care world was, what was it that brought you to have a passion, not just for teens, but for foster care? You know, if you went back to the very beginning, it was, I read a book series about a girl that was in foster care. That's the first time I had heard of that or learned about it. And it just continued I have that curiosity as time went on. And I got to the point in my life where I literally Googled how to help kids in foster care without fostering because I was living in a studio apartment. I couldn't possibly foster at that point, but I wanted to make a difference. And this had just been on my heart. I saw the court appointed special advocate program pop up. And so I went to an information session about the CASA program. Those almost three years with my CASA child put me on a completely different path in life. It really did. I saw the frustrations with the system, but I saw the incredible beauty from these kids that I got to encounter and got to experience and spend time with and the people who fought, you know, who fight for them and stand up for them and how complicated and messy it is. And at the same time, falling in love, not just with the child that you're supporting, but with the entire family and rooting for them and and cheering for them to, to find their way back to each other. That's where it all started. What reunification could look like, what parents, you know, fighting for their kids looked like, how difficult it was to be separated from your siblings. I just learned so much from that, that I said, I just, I've got to do more. And that's when I moved back to Alabama and got a larger place. The first thing I did was look up when the next foster care class started. Wow. It's where a lot of people start and it makes sense, right? Because you kind of just get this taste of the system. You get a taste of what kids in the system are like and they're not as scary as you may have once thought. I think once someone becomes a guardian ad litem, a lot of the times they see the problems in the system because of the struggles that they've had trying to advocate for these kids. So it says a lot about you that, you know, you saw those challenges and were like, I'm going to find a way to help more rather than get me out of here because it's yes, very so easy you're to climb that. into the machine to, to <laughs> try to make a difference in it. And that's what we did. We just decided to climb on in instead of just <laughs> walking away. <laughs> yeah, like the system sucks. Like everything about this is terrible. And even in the best case scenario where everybody's doing everything they're supposed to, it still sucks. It's still and slow. It's still cumbersome. Yeah. It's still frustrating. It's still, and that's in the best 
case scenario, which right. as we both but know, the kids never are happens. still there. The kids are still right. there and they need more people who are willing to suck it up because right. they can't just walk away like we could. Yeah. Yeah, it sucks, but like let's do something about it. You know, how can we make it a little less sucky? And that's the bottom line. Right. <laughs> that's the goal, right? I don't think any foster parent comes in and is like, I'm gonna totally transform the whole system because <laughs> it's I don't I don't think anybody has the answer to that. Honestly, if we can make it suck a little less for one kid, one family, that is the ultimate goal. And I think as foster parents, we try to make the differences where we can, hoping that it somehow ripples as it goes along. When you were growing up, did you know anybody who was in foster care or involved in any way? Yeah, we would have kids from like the group home um, who came to our church and things like that. But that was most of my exposure was there. Looking back, I probably did know kids in foster care and I probably did know kids who were in kinship care or um, in guardian type relationships, you know, especially if I think back to like high school and, you know, people, kids who were living with their grandparents or living with their aunt. It's very possible. And, and maybe I just I, I think I was just too naive to know that I should have looked at that differently. But to me, it was just families look different, you know? <laughs> Well, and maybe that's a good thing. Maybe they didn't want to be treated differently. Right. And exactly. I'm like, maybe that's a good thing that nobody knew. This is so important, especially for someone who started off as a single foster mom. Tell me about your support system. Where does that come from? So I, I feel very incredibly lucky, especially talking to other foster parents that, that I had full support from my family and friends going into this because I hear from a lot that say, oh, that my parents said, don't do it. These kids are bad. You know, all these kind of things. My parents 100% knew where my heart was. I had always talked about wanting to foster. So I had their support. I think they were shocked because I think they thought I was going to take babies because (laughs) I'd always babysat and I'd always had babies and toddlers. And so I think they were kind of shocked, but they have just been the most incredible support system. My brothers, my sister-in-law have all stepped in when I've had placements. I've brought my kids to family functions. They've been a part of birthdays and all kinds of other stuff. And my family just rolls with, I mean, they're not even surprised anymore when I just show up with a different child. They're just like, yeah, this is just, you know, that child's going to be part of the family for that day or that week or however long they're with me. So I'm really lucky in that regard. I'm incredibly lucky that I was single for 36 years of my life. I I made a lot of friends who became like my family. My friends were so supportive and they were like, we want to physically make a difference. Like, how can we help you? And they are the ones, my, my work colleagues bought every game in my foster closet. They just decided to all pitch in and buy all the games. If you can't foster, find somebody in your community, in your church, in your friend group who is doing the work and say, how can I help? And sometimes it is running out to Target at 6 a.m. to pick up your order because you have no clothes for the kid who came at midnight, which has happened to me. You know, sometimes it is just sending you flowers when a kid leaves that you are really close to. It's those actions that honestly have made me able to do this as long as I have because I had that incredible support system. When I hear about foster parents who like their family's not really into it, their friends don't really get it and they don't hang out with other foster parents. I'm like, oh, man, you need you need to get your crew because you're not going to last because even with all of that support it's still like how many times does something happen and you're like I don't know if I can keep doing this absolutely start building that system now start talking to people about your desire to foster and when they say well let me know if you ever need anything 
take them up on that, you know, <laughs> say, can I add you to my list if I, if I ever do need something? People want to help. They just don't know how. That's what so many of my friends have told me. Thank you so much for giving us the opportunity to help because how do you help kids in foster care? You know, if you don't have regular contact with them, you can work through a foster family and people want the opportunity. It is a gift to give them the opportunity to support the children in their community. And I think we as foster parents take it on and we're like, you know what? I made this decision. I decided to foster. So I've got to take all of this on me. And you're going to burn out so fast with that. You're just, you're going to burn out so fast. I think it's important to let your community in to be a part of taking care of these kids with us. When you met your fiance, did he know what you were doing and how did he feel about that? Like, how did that play into the relationship? You know, it's funny because so we met online. I talk about my passion for foster care online, but I don't actually say that I'm a foster parent just because I think you've got creepy people out there that think you've got kids in your house all the time or something. And I just, I never talk about that. We were on our first date and we were just really hitting it off and things were going really well. And he goes, so, you know, what else do you do at foster teenagers? And he goes, okay, that was an interesting answer. I was thinking more like, do you like ice skating or something? (laughs) So I think it kind of took him off guard. I mean, he was incredibly supportive, but I think he was just more interested in wanting to know more because he he didn't know anything about foster care, right? He had never experienced it. Since we've started dating, he has been so interested in educating himself on what I do and why I do it. He listens when I talk about trauma and when I talk about attachment and when I, you know, see a behavior and I'm like, I can tell you right now that this is what I'm seeing and this is probably how they should deal with it. He's so interested. I plan a lot of events for foster families and group homes and things like that. And he's at every single one of them setting up the sound equipment, meeting the vendors that are showing up or whatever it may be. He just is so incredibly supportive. If you had asked me when I started this journey, you know, I I fully expected to be a single foster mom forever. I I did not think that there was somebody that was going to be so open to what I do and wanting to learn more about what I do. And it's just been so amazing and kind of makes me love him more every time I get to watch him interact with my kids or meet them. He's developed relationships with some of my kids that I keep in contact with too. And they love talking to him as well. I didn't think it was possible. And it's been an incredible thing to watch just this, this person that I didn't think existed <laughs> exist. Yeah, I totally understand that. We as women oftentimes just assume men wouldn't be interested in this kind of stuff. Maybe it's because of stereotypes or whatever, whether it's my friend's husbands, whether it's single foster dads I've come across, there is something so powerful about a man who is passionate about foster care and adoption and just wants to help and love kids. Those men exist if we allow them to, right? <laughs> if we if we bring them along with us, they, they can turn into the most incredible advocates and, and fathers for sure. Yeah, I, I would definitely say that some of the foster dads that I have met, obviously Jack Daddy as like the prime example for me, they're just so incredible. They're so incredible because it's easy as a woman to feel a maternal emotion over a kid regardless of whose kid they are but for a man like their bodies just aren't driven by those same chemicals so when you two get married which I believe is coming soon is that correct in in a month yes (laughs) wow okay so we're not long engagement people so 
I assume you're going to continue fostering and he's ready to be a foster dad. Unfortunately, my state makes it very difficult for you to get married and foster together. And I don't know if this is just a my state thing or other state. In Alabama, they require that you are married for a year before you can foster. Now, if we just moved in together and decided to foster, there would be no such rule. For whatever reason, because we've decided to make it legal, there is this rule. We are hoping to bypass that because I'm already licensed. So he would just be in addition to my license as opposed to just brand new getting licensed. So we are working with my agency on that. We do know there will be a break in time when my license will be on pause because he has to get licensed. We're hoping that it's not as long and that we're able to get him into class and able to figure all that out pretty soon so that I can continue to do at least emergency and respite care like I have been because we both travel for work. The goal is yes, to continue fostering my state Decided to make it a little bit difficult for us, but we're pressing on and hoping to be able to nudge them a little bit. You just mentioned the type of placements that you take. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? I know, obviously, you're fostering teens. I believe you do emergency and respite, right? Correct. I only do short-term placements like emergency and respite because I travel for work and I live alone. If I'm out of town, there's no one here to stay with a child. I do short-term Sometimes it's the night that they're coming into foster care. That's usually emergency foster care or if they're being moved or something is is happening or moving between group homes or transitioning in some way, whether it be back home, whether it be transitioning to a relative. And sometimes I'm just kind of that stopover as they're kind of moving along. So it's a place for them to stay for a night or two while things are being worked out um, until they move on. It's an interesting foster care arrangement. It is not for everyone. Not everybody enjoys kids in and out of their house every single day. That can be a little overwhelming. It's just, it fits my personality and my lifestyle really well. And part of me in the beginning, I said, why should I even foster? I I mean, I travel for work. I'm single. Why even bother? Because I can't actually take a kid full time. Someone had said to me, you're doing more than the people who aren't licensed at all. Like, even if you can just take a kid for a night or two, isn't that better than the alternative, which is a good point. We all do play our role. I have had one long-term placement that I was able to take during COVID because obviously there was no travel happening during COVID and she was 17. So we knew that she'd be moving on. You know, I was able to take a long-term placement during that time. Otherwise, I mainly do short-term. Well, I think it's really important for people to know about that because a lot of people really have hearts for foster care, whether it's because of their job or some aspect of their personal life, they can't take long-term placements. But it's so important that we have people that are able to take short-term placements. You never have too many respite homes either. Respite is always needed for families. When emergencies happen, a foster family who had a medical emergency with one of the parents and they were going to be hospitalized for a week and they just needed somewhere for the child to go for that week. Life happens, right? They have to leave the state at the last minute for a relative or something and things happen and having respite caregivers able to say yes and able to take on a child and are licensed and ready can make an absolute huge difference for foster families as well. And it gives you a chance to really learn about 
foster care and, and care for kids. You know, I always say I love the respite placements because I get to be like the cool aunt that you come visit for a week or a weekend. Um, <laughs> them up instead of home. <laughs> yes. It's so much fun. I mean, my first respite placement, I had him for a week. He went bowling. We went to David Buster's. We had an entire Harry Potter marathon. We did all kinds of fun stuff. And it was, it was a complete blast. And I just got to be like the cool respite foster mom. And then, you know, he was able to go back with his foster family, but I just think respite can be a a great first step too. Yeah. I I bet it also, especially because you have a lot of kids coming in and out, gives you an idea of what types of situations that you can and can't handle and maybe also figure out an age range that would work for you because some people are just so afraid to go over like, gosh, even sometimes a year old, these teens need somewhere to go. I can't tell you how many people have told me, well, I'm just going to start out at respite just because I want to see if we can do this. I'm just going to try. And they get like their first respite placement. And then they're like, okay, we need to move them. And they're like, no, they're going to stay here. (laughs) So (laughs) you really sometimes meet this kid and you're like, oh my gosh, I I love this kid. I want to help them. I want to support them and their family. And you really get that opportunity with respite. And sometimes they they don't leave your house (laughs) at the end of the week or the weekend. Uh, Don't be surprised if that happens sometimes too. Kids are easy to fall in love with. Some of my longest term placements have been kids that were just supposed to be one night. And my husband always laughs at me when I'm like, oh, we're just helping out for the night. He's like, oh yeah, like this person. Oh yeah. Like that person. It's true. It's true. Yeah. And it's so funny because, you know, I've had that before. I've had a child come for a few days and then they go to a placement and then, you know, for whatever reason they're moved again. And so they come back to me and they're like, I'm back. (laughs) Of course you are. Come on. So you have got to tell me, what was it that made you want to focus on teens? It honestly was my CASA girl. I told the CASA people, I was like, I'm open to any age. I'm really good with toddlers and babies, but I'll take any age. And I got a call the next week. It's like, you're going to do a 13 year old girl. I was like, I don't know anything about 13 year olds, but sure. I was with her for almost three years. She radically changed what I thought about teenagers, what I knew about teenagers and what I thought I could handle. And you just started to recognize how absolutely fun they are. What a cool stage of life it is. Yes, they are incredibly frustrating sometimes or really annoying or any number of things. But you also are watching these adults blossom. There's no, there's no other way to describe, but you're literally watching them become the people that they're going to be. There's just no other age that you really get to witness that so bright in your face. I recognize that I was in a unique place too, because I was a single woman living alone, taking one kid at a time. I feel like the teens could really use kind of some one-on-one attention and could really maybe some could benefit from this kind of quieter environment than some other kids who, you know, if they were younger, they'd probably be bored out of their mind with me because, you know, I like to go out to eat Mexican food and watch movies and that's just a teenager lifestyle. So (laughs) it works out well with my interests too. I just knew that that was an age that needed me as scary as it was. Anything good that's ever happened to you probably started from a place of fear, whether it be a great job or a great relationship or whatever. It's terrifying in the beginning. And you had to take some kind of leap or risk in order to get 
to where you are now. Fostering in general is terrifying. Fostering teenagers is super terrifying. And you expect the absolute worst. I was completely prepared for the worst and the worst didn't happen. I ended up just falling in love with a lot of kids and having some of the most incredible experiences of my life. And so sometimes just doing stuff despite the fear really works out to be great. (laughs) My experiences with teens, I love having conversations with them. I love going to get a Starbucks and just like laughing with them and having real conversations that you can't have with a four-year-old. Right. (laughs) The behaviors, it's like, they're not too different from the six-year-olds, you know? I want to say the only kids that have beaten me up and like left scars and I had a fat lip, I got a black eye. That was from a two-year-old. <laughs> you know what I mean? Usually when teens get back, just climb out the window. People assume the worst things. And, and I get so many questions on social media about, well, aren't you afraid that they're going to kill you? Aren't you afraid they're going to steal from you? Aren't you afraid? And the answer is no. I know of one child I've had who stole and it was some little toy from the closet that I would have given her anyway, if she'd asked. As far as being afraid of them, they're just as scared as you are, right? Yeah. You're, you're, you're a stranger to them. You are a strange house. They don't know you. They don't know what you're capable of. A lot of kids assume I'm going to hurt them. Because that's been their experience with the adults in their life, right? It's been their experience with adults, right? So to say, aren't you afraid the kids are going to hurt you? Well, they're just as afraid that that I'm going to hurt them. And that's terrifying. And it's terrifying to be dropped off at some random woman's house. I can't imagine how scared that must feel. People are always going to talk about the horror stories and they're out there. Kids with a lot of trauma. I've had runaways. I've had incidents in my home. It's not all rosy, right? And I don't want to paint fostering teens as this perfect world of, oh, they're just going to love you and you're going to love them and it's going to be great. It's not the way it works. Does the good outweigh the bad? Every time. And honestly, my most difficult kid, the one that just almost made me throw in the towel, that literally did everything that I'd been warned about, you know, just gave me most of my gray hair. She is the child that I literally still have contact with. I still meet for lunch once a month, messages me or calls me or texts me. She's invited to my wedding. This is the kid that gave me so many sleepless nights. And she is my kid. You know, she is the one that I will always have in my life. So even on those most difficult ones you never know you may just fall in love still and never know how it turns out speaking of how scared they are when they get to your house one of the things that i absolutely love that you do is your welcome basket i put it all in a basket and i put it on the bed um and i just said hey in case you need anything it's in here the first kiddo used everything in the basket and packed it all. Can can I take this with me? Absolutely. And so it kind of developed from there. I volunteered with Comfort Cases when I lived in Maryland and they replaced trash bags with duffel bags and they stuffed the duffel bags full of the basic necessities for what a kid needs on their first night. And I was thinking, well, I'm going to be taking kids on their first night. So maybe I need some of these things. So the basket has kind of developed, but what I put in there is a toothbrush and toothpaste, deodorant. Uh, I do soap and body wash because you never know what the child prefers. I usually do a poof for the body wash if that's what they're used to. I always include different hair care. I have brushes and hair bands and everything for Caucasian hair and black hair. I've got hair bonnets. All of that goes in there along with a blanket. I do a like a soft throw blanket uh, that's brand new and wrapped and I do some fuzzy socks just because I think it's one of those things if you get cold in a house it's weird to ask for a blanket. Socks if your feet are cold. Providing those up front and saying these are yours to 
to have and to take with you and they're brand new. Every single kid opens up that blanket and wears those socks on that first movie night. It started as a way to try to just honestly make them comfortable and give them some dignity without having to ask for deodorant from somebody or, you know, tampons or whatever it may be. And so I think that it started from a place of just wanting to give them dignity and not having to have them feel awkward if they needed things. And it slowly became something that represented that you're welcome in my home and that I am honored to have you in my home, however long that may be. And when you leave my home, all of this is yours to take to the next place. And it's new, it's in new packaging and it's marked for you. It definitely tells something without telling something. Whenever you post a picture that you've you've got one out on the bed, I get so excited about them. By the time you get teenagers, they're often not gonna use stuffed animals. You know, I had stuffed animals in the beginning in the basket and none of my teens would touch them or take them. But that blanket, they were 100% willing to cozy up to that. So I kind of, I said, it's the teen version of a stuffed animal and a comfort and a comfy. What is the most important piece of advice that you would give someone who's considering fostering teenagers? Focus on the relationship. If a child comes in your home and the first thing you're doing is giving them the list of rules and responsibilities for being in your home, it's going to feel really hard to feel like you're more than just some authority figure that they have to follow. A relationship builds respect. A relationship builds trust. And you need both of those when things go wrong. Focusing on that relationship, not only just getting to know them, but also showing up for them, being there for them, choosing your battles, helping them find their way in this new environment in your home and in your community, and then honoring who they are as a person, right? We often think we take kids into our home and we're going to teach them so much and we're going to take them to all our favorite places. And we don't ever say, what do you like? What do you want? What makes you feel like home? I had never made ramen in my life, but my kids, so many of them love ramen. So I keep it on hand. I have gone to church services at churches that I maybe never would have gone to, but it was important for that child. And so I think as a foster family, you have an opportunity to also invest in their life and get to know who they are as, as people. And there's a lot of respect that goes with that. And it does a lot for the relationship. So if you're thinking about taking teenagers, don't focus so much on how am I going to get them to do chores and clean their room? How am I going to get them to do this or that? Because rules mean nothing without a relationship. Focus on that. Focus on building a strong foundation. And when things do need to be addressed and when there are behaviors or disciplines or whatever it may be, you're just going to help yourself out so much by having a solid relationship with them. All of these kids that are in foster care have experienced trauma. And the best way to heal from that trauma is by building the resiliency, which is something that happens when you have healthy relationships with adults in your life. 100%. So you're not just helping the situation in your house. You're helping that child really heal. So relationship is absolutely like the most important part, whether it's teens or anybody, but most certainly with the teens. What is the best thing about fostering teens? Part of me wants to say that the best part of fostering teens is not having to change diapers. And that is very true. But I think the other part is that you really get to experience these amazing humans. You get to not only, you know, with little kids, you feel like you're giving them a home and you're giving them so many things. But with teens, you just get so much back too. 
I have met the most incredible artists. I have met the most incredible singers, brilliant, beyond brilliant kids that I'm pretty sure will run Fortune 500 companies one day. And you get to know them and get to support them and get to hear about their dreams and their friends. And I think that if you're looking for an opportunity to not only help a child, but also allow yourself to be enriched and allow yourself to learn about things that you don't know about, then fostering teens is a great way to do that because you're going to learn so much and you're going to be able to experience things in, in all new ways and not just experiencing algebra again, because that part's not fun, but you get to experience other aspects of teenagehood too. Can you give me one word that describes foster care to you? Grace. You need to give the kids grace. You need to give the families grace. You also have to give yourself grace, I think, in this journey. And I think that you also get to watch grace happen in these families that you're serving and watch kind of some beautiful relationships build. You get to watch lives change. You get to watch family trees totally change direction. And I think that it is it is the ultimate grace on my life that I know how lucky I am, but I also get to watch a lot of grace happen. Every kid that I take, it takes a lot of it and you got to give a lot of it, but also you've got to receive some of that. Otherwise you just drive yourself crazy. Speaking of driving yourself crazy as a well-known account on social, what is the hardest part about having such a public persona? I think the most difficult part is probably getting the messages from kids that say things like, I wish I'd had a foster parent like you, or I never got to be in a foster home. I was only ever in group homes or kids who say, I wish I would have been removed um, from my family. So those are really hard to hear it. You know, I got a letter this week from a boy in England that just really talked about how much he wishes he had an adult to talk to and that he felt like he could talk to me. And I think that that just broke my heart that there are so many kids out there who just want an adult who cares about them and is is interested in their lives. And I think the second part is really that you're going to get not always positive responses. That's part of it. And as much as I mentally prepared for that, I thought I did. It still gets me sometimes, you know, when people question my intentions or question my morals or things like that, it cuts. You want to get into social media or any kind of influencer lifestyle, you have to be prepared for that and find ways to walk away sometimes. You know, I, I took the last couple of days off of social media. I didn't read messages. I didn't post videos. I didn't do anything. I just needed a break because I had noticed that, you know, some of the comments had kind of got to me. So I think it's okay to give yourself those breaks. And I think that is also a lesson, you know, that we all need breaks. Sometimes you have to be willing to give that to yourself and and come back better. And sure enough, after a couple of days, it totally reset my brain and had me ready to go. Even just being a foster parent kind of puts a target on our back. Oh, yeah. I don't know if you've had tire slash cars key they're the kind of things you hear about sometimes and that's a total rarity i think what is more common is false abuse reports sure. or even just as little as it's always rare when you meet the parent for the first time and they don't have a complaint in some way what i had to learn pretty early on is that it has nothing to do with me and how I'm caring for that child. It's all about the parent just feeling like their life's out of control and this is their kid and what can they point out something negative that someone else is doing. And my first placement, they were, if I put shorts on the boy instead of pants, the mom was like, he should have been wearing pants. It was cold out. Or if I put 
you know, in the heat of a Florida summer. If I put pants on him, she was upset that he was too hot. He should have had shorts. Or if he pulled his socks off in the car on the way there, where are his socks, you know? And I had to realize really quickly that that had nothing to do with me. And one of the big lessons of foster care is don't take anything personally, you know, but it's hard. Absolutely. It is not, it's not about you, but it is hard, right? Even when you get stuff, you know, from the families or from the kids, it's hard not to take it personal, but it's not personal. And you have to sometimes take yourself back to ground yourself in who you are really, you know, whether that be with friends and family or whatever it takes to be like, all right, who am I and what am I actually doing in my life? And know that what other people are saying about me is not true. What is it that keeps you motivated to keep on social, to keep on fostering when it's hard? Because it is, it's all hard. With fostering for every tough kid I've got, I have one that reminds me why I do this in big and small ways. So I think you have to look for those moments and look for those breakthroughs sometimes with fostering. And when it comes to social, it's overwhelming to me how many messages I've gotten from people who said, I didn't even know about CASA and my training starts next week. You know, thank you for telling me. I had so many people say, we totally went into foster care, only planning to do littles. And halfway through our classes, because of stuff we watched from you, we said we'd be also be open to teens. I see those messages and I think if I can just get one teen out of a group home, out of a facility, into to a family that cares and wants to build a relationship with this child, then all of this will be worth it. I've gotten to the point now that I've been doing this for 10 months now. I'm getting people who have said, Hey, we've, we've had our teenager now for six months. They're the most amazing. I never would have said that I wanted teenagers, but he's just incredible. Like, thank you for encouraging us to do this. Those messages are, are just fuel to my soul because that's why I started the channel, honestly, was just to say, A, you should be a foster parent if you can, and B, you should consider fostering teens. And that was my only goal is could I just get one more foster home for a teenager? Could I just get five more people at least thinking about fostering a teenager? That number has baffled my brain by how much it has grown in the last 10 months. And I, I see the fruit of it. And I think that that really makes it all worth it. Even the not so fun parts of being on social media and doing influencer stuff. It's not always fun, but that's why I did this. And so every one of those messages reminds me of why I do this. So tell me one positive change. What would you like to see different in the foster care world? Specifically for teenagers, just because that's the group that I work with the most. And this is where I see the most frustration with my folks is being required to hear the voice of the child in court. I think so many kids feel like everything is happening to them, especially when you're teenagers, you you know what's going on, right? They're not oblivious. They know why they're in foster care. They know why they can't go home or whatever it may be. You don't have to explain that to them. They are also not informed about what's happening to them. They get moved. They get put into programs. They have no clue what resources are available to them. They know they have a GAL. They have no idea what that GAL does for them. And these are just things that I've heard from my kids. They don't understand what rights that they have, which aren't a lot anyway, but they do have some rights. Those just get ignored because they're kids. And I wish we could wave a magic wand and make it required everywhere. Kids get sat down and 
have rights read to them and say, here's what you are entitled to, whether that is you're entitled to call your GAL or your social worker, you're entitled to their have their phone numbers, to you're entitled to have money for college. I can't tell you how many kids had no clue that that was a thing. They're just so uninformed about their rights and what they're entitled to and the things that the government has already paid for for them um, that are they don't know that they can take advantage of. So I think if it were up to me, it would be just giving these kids much more of a voice in their own cases. I understand when you have a two-year-old that doesn't really understand what's going on, you need to have someone speak for them. But at 16, 17 years old, why do they not have a say in their lives and in their futures? I think that's just crazy to me, but it happens every single day. It's so hard to find the people who will allow them to speak up for themselves. But honestly, that's what's going to change your outcomes is when children feel that they had some kind of say in their own life. And it's not something that I hear people talk about a lot. What do you think communities can do to prevent more kids from needing to come into care? Mental health resources. Fight, fight, fight. Call your senators and representatives. Ask them why they're not putting more money into mental health care for both children and adults and why we aren't investing those resources because I think you would fix a lot more than just foster care if we put the resources into mental health care, into taking care of things before they get out of hand because honestly, sometimes the only way that these parents get mental health care is when their kids get taken away and that's not right and nor does it help anybody. So I think that that would be that would be a huge thing. I mean, it's a huge thing that our country needs. You can talk about drug reform. You can talk about all of that. That goes back to mental health. You can talk about domestic violence and that goes right back to mental health and trauma. All of it is related. And I think until we as a country decide that we're going to address trauma and mental health head on, we're just going to continue to pay more money on the other end. So you can pay up front, you can pay on the other end and you can pay on the other end through foster care and prisons and, you know, all those kind of things, or you can pay up front. And I hope one day we decide to pay on the other end. Gosh, it would save so much money to pay for some mental health services versus paying to provide all the resources that a child needs mm. for one to three to four years while they're in care. Yep. And then compounding the mental health problems that they've possibly inherited by their parents right. by traumatizing them right. and sticking them in foster care for years and totally and so on. We all think that you are such an incredible foster care advocate. Someone we love to follow on social. Who are the social influencers that you like to follow that maybe if some of the people listening were to jump on and if they haven't followed you, that's Foster the Teens on Instagram. What other social networks are you I'm on? I'm also on TikTok, TikTok. So you can you can find me on TikTok as well. I love foster parenting. Her name is Laura and she mainly does under eight years old. I have learned so much from her about babies and toddlers and foster care and trauma. And she just, she's a wealth of information and she has it so well organized for you. I love it. Be the Village on YouTube and Instagram and TikTok. Whitney is also phenomenal. Love working with her. Rob Shear with Comfort Cases. He has an incredible story. He has fostered and adopted their kids in addition to starting Comfort Cases as a program that has just, you know, changed so many lives. Those are the three off the top of my head. I follow a lot more, have a lot more relationships, but I just, I gain so much from those folks. I'll shout them out. Yeah. If you're, if you're in any kind of 
journey to foster care at all, you should definitely follow her. I wish I had had her information before I started, right? Like she gave a ton of stuff that I'm like, oh, that would have been so good to have before starting. Yeah. What are your personal goals to make positive change in your local community? Oh, I have so many. <laughs> I have so many, so many dreams right now. I had a feeling. Um, especially because I, I will be having to take a little bit of a break from actually fostering until my, my husband gets licensed. Oh, it's so weird calling him my husband. But um, I have a lot of goals, including some legislative ones. Alabama, my state does not currently have a bill of rights for foster children. They have a bill of rights for foster parents, which is wonderful. And I think every state should have those too, because foster parents should have rights. But I think one of the biggest deals is my kids don't know their rights. And I think I would love to pass legislation in our state that advocated for a bill of rights for kids in foster care that they would be given a copy of every time they moved so that it would just be drilled into them what their rights are so that they could make the most of those. I also have some goals around supporting not only foster families in my community, but kinship families. With the Family First Act, we know that we're going to see a lot more push towards kinship, which I think is phenomenal. I would love to see more resources for kinship families. I would love to see the same kind of training opportunities that we have as foster parents. Even if you're going into a kinship situation, that child has experienced a lot of trauma. So I'd, I'd love to do more advocacy for those families and find more resources for them. And then also there are foster closets in my community. But I think that there's some unmet needs, mainly in the teenage space and in the aged out foster youth space. So things like decorating your first apartment and getting the necessities like plates and forks and bathroom rugs and towels. So that's going to be one of my goals. The other goal that is the more immediate one, we are having so many kids sleep at our DHR offices right now that they're having to use a lot of kind of ratty old towels and be used used by a lot of different kids. One of the goals in the next month is to furnish our DHR with brand new washcloths and towels for every child that is that is spending the night there. And so that they can have it, it's their own, they can take it with them and don't have to keep reusing the same washcloths and towels that have holes and bleach stains and everything else. So just some of the dreams in the next just, year just a couple or so. little things. No big deal. No big deal. Brittany, you're incredible. Thank you so much for joining us today and for everything you do to advocate for kids in care, especially for teens. Thank you so much for having me on. I so greatly appreciate it. Thank you so much for joining us today. Make sure you subscribe and follow us on social. We hope that you join us again next time and keep on fostering the future.